Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. This episode will be on Stranger Things Monsters. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. James and I are very excited to be talking about Stranger Things once again. It's going to be a while until season five comes out, and we had a lot of fun watching the new seasons and recapping the other ones, and we were like, let's head back into that world of, of Hawkins. Hawkins. A, Hawk, a huge fan over there. Can't remember <laughs> where it takes place. Hawkins, Indiana, Anthony. Come on. We love Stranger Things. The last <laughs> season was excellent, and we're always trying to find new excuses to talk about some of our favorite franchises, and Stranger Things is one of them. So this episode will be focused specifically on the monsters and creatures of Stranger Things. We have a list of, I think it's 11 monsters that we're going to talk about, and I put them in order of how threatening they are from least threatening to most threatening. And so the list will be the Hawkins Tunnel System, which is a monster creature. Yeah, the it's, vines, it's, a, it's alive. The yeah. vines or tendrils, the flayed, dart or how he's scientifically called according to the show, D'Artagnan, based, you know, named off the Three Musketeer character, Demobats, Demodogs, the Hospital Monster, the Demogorgon, the Spider Monster, the Mind Flayer or Shadow Monster, and finally... Vecna. The show has always done a terrific job with the monsters, and they're different every year. And they do a good job of sometimes, often, they have to rely on CGI. They do a great job of mixing both CGI with live action special effects and prosthetics, especially with Vecna. And I think they've always done a good job of listening to fans, hearing, oh, they don't like this, let's do this instead. And so they've improved the monsters and creatures. And also, they draw from inspiration from classic films. Uh, and I think they do an excellent job of always keeping it fresh for audiences. And familiar, but in new twists. Like you said, drawing from previous films, the Demogorgon, which is probably, you know, was the most famous monster in Stranger Things. Now Vecna is Demogorgon based off, like, the xenomorph and alien. Also, the way it reaches through the walls, like Freddy Krueger and stuff like that and other films. So the way they draw on past horror films is so fun and interesting. Now, how about we just start the list off and get going? Let's get going. There's so many monsters to talk about. Like, we went through the entire list. I can't wait to get through each one specifically. We're also going to be joined by a chosen one patron by the end of this episode after the for the intermission, who is John Agras. So that'll be really exciting. But let's get to this list of horrors and creatures and monsters from Stranger Things. All right, let's get right into it, James. Yeah, let's start with the Hawkins Tunnel System, which is, in fact, a creature or organism that grew out of the Upside Down via the Mother Gate at Hawkins Lab. It's an intricate network of underground passageways that have found themselves under the town of Hawkins, which, if it hadn't been disturbed, might have eventually covered the entire globe emerging from the gate to the Upside Down, the Hawkins tunnel system works to connect the two realms the more ground it covers the easier it will be for the mind flayers minions to roam freely which we see with the demagogues and other creatures in stranger things and one of the highlights of the first season is when the crew of kids are down in the tunnels and when hopper um, gets down there also nancy gets down there as well i think the duffer brothers and that team did an amazing job of creating a set like this because it looks fantastic and they had such little money to work with and so little resources. I think they did a wonderful job with the tunnel system, especially in the first season. And we're getting a bunch of information from StrangerThingsFandom.com for all this little info for each of the creatures. And it reminds me so much 
of Alien, obviously, when after the xenomorphs take the human beings to harvest them for with eggs to create new little baby xenomorphs, xenomorphs, <laughs> they take them and they like web them up and goop them web up. Web them up. They web <laughs> on. They goop them up into these walls and they're stuck and just like frozen, which is exactly like what happens to Will inside the Upside Down. He's kind of stuck yeah. inside those vines and. And later on, when they're on the tunnels, was it season three that they're in the tunnels or season two? Season to... season two, I believe. Season two, they're in the yeah, tunnels. Yeah, and then that's when babysitter Steve is born. Yeah. And then they also, we get to see people trapped in walls with that same kind of style in Vecna's lair. That's how he keeps his victims in the walls. And the cool thing about the tunnels is they're telepathically linked to the Mind Flayer. We'll get to the Mind Flayer, obviously, but we'll just assume that, like, from the point of view of the tunnels in the first two se- season, the second season is. They're telepathically connected to the Mind Flayer, which we eventually find out telepathically connected to Vecna as well. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I love the first season so much, and I'm sure many of you do as well, is because of the mystery that's unraveling. And by season two, three, and four, we already know what's going on. But season one's really special because the characters and the audience is discovering what is happening simultaneously. And that's what really makes the first season special. Like the first time you see the tunnels, you're like, oh my God, there's like this underground network under here. And then the upside down, it was just like really incredible, great writing and very surprising. And the tunnels have this area called the hub where Hopper referred to it as like the graveyard, just these creatures and bones from what these creatures of the upside down have been dragging down there and eating. And also... There's a connection to Will with the hub and with the tunnels as well, because as we remember, it was in was it season two where he's making the tunnels. He's he's being possessed by the mind flayer and he's having difficulties communicating what's happening to him. So Joyce's mother suggests that she try to he try to draw something up because you know he's a good drawer, he's a little artist. So he draws that intricate network of tunnels that no one really understands what it is until Bob Newby starts recognizing different parts and bodies of water of Hawkins of Hawkins Indiana so he discovers and realizes that Will with the tunnels has drawn out Lovers Lake Lake Jordan Sattler Quarry and the Eno River Eno River so that's a really great moment for Bob Newby RIP for Bob are all the new characters man every single one next season if they bring a new character in they better not kill them. I don't know. They have too many characters now, so I don't think they can bring anyone new in. They should have axed Max and kept Eddie. <laughs> Still not over I it. like Max a lot, but yeah. like they kind of just like, they could have, that would have been a crazy moment, like a Game of Thrones moment to take out Max like that. It would have, I think it would have added peril to any situation for all the characters if a lead character dies. So I think it was a misstep for sure. Anyways. And in an otherwise terrific season. The tunnels are the least threatening of the monsters. Yeah, they get a one out of ten. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> they're just mostly like inanimate like if you can walk them it's okay it's no big deal like you might get like a cough like I... <laughs> yeah you could catch cold you could get you could get hypothermia in there i got you... the black lung pop <laughs> man, man. <laughs> you, but yeah you could definitely get pneumonia or hypothermia if you hang out in there too long so it is kind of dangerous so i'll give it a one out of ten and we all know remember that the when the mind flare was possessing will that it forced will to lie so that it could send its minions to kill the soldiers as revenge for burning the tunnels up so Mm -hmm. a lot happened in the tunnels in season two and it's really great part of the story and the lore of the upside down as well it also reminds me of the 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 tunnel system in it oh yeah yeah so if you've read that book there's a lot that takes place in there and it definitely is reminiscent of that so and obviously the 
the Duffers are big fans of Stephen King. Absolutely. Great point, Anthony. Thanks. Moving on to the Vines, or as they're often referred to as the Tendrils. These are one of the most dominant forms of life present in the Upside Down and make up part of the Mind Flayer's hive mind. The veins are a form of life existing somewhere between the traditional idea of a plant and an animal or reptile or, or <laughs> demon. There, so there's a moment in in the new season where it's like we talked about in our episode. It has the climax of a villain gaining the upper hand over everyone but not killing anyone. In Vecna? Yeah. And it's like a trope with villains and it, you've seen it a hundred times. It's, a way, it's just like, you know, the writers, they can't figure out a way of like – Keeping this entire like hour long runtime, hour and a half long, two hour, two and a half hour long runtime going, so they, they kind of cheat a little bit. And like when the vines captured the trio on the staircases in, in the trio house, and yeah, Steve. and like it's like twenty minutes that they're just hanging there. If you think about it, because by the time it's all over, from when they get captured and strung up on the walls to when L kills, L defeats Vecna, it's like thirty minutes. It's quite so, a long time. So like he could have just easily like. See you later. But they just, I think they couldn't figure out how to not get them involved. It's a little cheating. I mean, obviously, like, if you, if a main character gets captured by something and they're not killed, kind of takes away the, the peril of the situation and, and the danger. But that's just a little, like my little thing about the end of that season. Well, it's kind of like that. Also, during that sequence, Erica is like getting beat up by the jock for like twenty. Yeah. Minutes. Like every time they cut to her, they're just still struggling to get up. It's like how long has this been going on for? Like, Jesus. yeah, that's the problem sometimes with cross cutting. So because some events can, should only take like thirty seconds, and some events take like forty minutes. <laughs> but uh, the vines and the tendrils, they are. Used many times throughout the show to, like Anthony said, with the season four capturing and holding characters hostage or holding them down. Happens to Hopper, happens to Will multiple times. And it seems like they kind of have sort of a mind of their own while they're connected to the hive mind as well. They're capable of just constricting or suffocating to an extent one of their victims so that they don't kill them or they can kill them if they want to. And they're able to just like tell what kind of creature they're holding, who they're holding on to and everything like that. Yeah, and it reminded me, um, Carnage from Venom reminded me of the tendrils Kinda, in yeah. that movie. He used his, his entire shape of body to do things like that the same way. What are tendrils' weakness? Pretty much like axes. Fire? Not Fire, kind of, not really. They're actually pretty vulnerable, invulnerable to fire. It hurts. Obviously, that's showing the connection between Will with the like hive he, mind yeah. when they put the fire to the tendril. However, it's still it won't be like killed by the fire. Mm. It just it just wounds it hurts it and it doesn't like it, but like you really need like an axe to cut it up or something like that yeah. or like a chainsaw. Makes sense. <laughs> I give I give cuz the, they do that at Hawkins lab. They expose him to the flame. They're exposed to a they flame. They heat him up with the yeah. The tendrils exposed yeah. to a flame. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose they they uh, yeah, I guess it's not exactly a weakness of theirs. It hurts. They don't like yeah. it. It's, it's, it's yuckies. It's, it's yuckies. I'm giving the tendrils a, a five out of ten. Five out of ten. On danger. Yeah, they're pretty dangerous. Yeah, man. I mean, if you, they if they could if they actually could kill people, like if like then they would take people out no problem. You can't avoid them. You they were playing like operation around the vines yeah. and tendrils in the four, in season four. Yeah, but once Vecna knows you're there, you're done. Yeah, you're pretty much you're done. done. Or if you hit, if you touch one. But it seems like it wasn't a complete hive mind, almost. You know, I guess I guess it probably is. It was a hive mind, but it's just connected to one mind. Just Vecna. Yeah, so when he doesn't see you, the hive mind doesn't see you. All right, 5 out of 10 for the tendrils. Yeah, 5 out Very of 10. Very yucky. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they also remind me of is uh, Devil's Snare. 
Devil's Snare, yeah, absolutely. Devil's Snare. What's the what's the what's the Oh I always forget Devil's the, Snare, the Soak in the Sun. Something, something. <laughs> I can't remember. Hold on. Hermione's stuck. <laughs> just just be grateful that Hermione paid attention in biology. <laughs> just be thankful it's not your neck. <laughs> Alright, moving on. The next creature or monster is the Flayed. The Flayed are a mindless group of drones having lost all free will before their bodily functions are subsequently controlled by the Mind Flayer. An infected Billy takes up authority of the Hive Mind as he's the first human taken over as one of the Flayed, apparently second in command of the army of death and destruction of the Mind Flayer and of Vecna. The Flayed cannot be killed directly as the damaged body will become a pile of red tinged sludge capable of reforming which we'll get to in a little bit which is very gross so after a new gate to the upside down was secretly opened beneath star court mall the mind flayer's psychic link to the human world was re-established allowing the flayer to reawaken a piece of itself that lay dormant in brimborn steelworks through this piece the flayer possessed swarms of rats at first remember when nancy's investigating all those nasty rats in the basements of, the, of those homes and stuff like that melting them down and using their bodies to create a proxy form which the flayer too possessed the flayer repeated the same process on a larger and more complex scale with human beings possessing billy hargrove and others these possessed humans came to be known as the flayed eventually most of the flayed were summoned to the steelworks to be melted down and absorbed into the proxy form again rats went through a similar experience pretty uh, gross it's like soiling green it's people. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a great kind of movie monster too. It's it's really terrific. It's it's reminiscent, obviously, of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think the Duffers were very influenced by that classic horror movie. So good for season three of Stranger Things. If you've never seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, put it on your watch list ASAP. It is incredible. Still holds up. It is a timeless piece of horror fiction. It's incredible. They remade it a few times. It's not the great, but that great. But the the original starring. Uh, Donald Sutherland is terrific. They also changed the name as well for they, the remake. They called it something else, right? Yeah. I think the Flayed are terrific. And one of the, I think, most disturbing scenes in all of Stranger Things is when Billy and his possessed girlfriend go to her parents' house for dinner. And the kids go and see them because they're suspicious. And everything seems like way too normal and way too nice. And Billy's being super polite. Because he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> And then when the kids leave, she and him kill the parents ruthlessly. I thought that was a really strong moment, especially in that season. It was a terrific scene. Really disturbing because like, our daughter is killing her, helping kill her own parents. Showed the power of the mind flayer in that moment. And of course, like I said, they're connected to the hive mind. They have the same aversion to heat and flames. But they can also be infused with superhuman strength like Billy Hargrove demonstrates multiple times in the show What? because he's like second in command. He's the main flame. And they hate saunas. <laughs> they do hate saunas <laughs> big time and heaters. <laughs> but um, they love MILFs. But uh, <laughs> when one member of the flayed or being of the flayed feels pain, all members or beings of the flayed feel pain because of the hind mind. And... It's believed and likely that a total of 29 Hawkins residents, including the all those rats, 
were flayed and died as a result of the Mind Flayer's avatar's death since it was mentioned by the news in the Battle of Starcourt that 30 people died in Starcourt Mall's fire, which was obviously a cover-up by the government for what really happened at the Starcourt Mall battle. Yeah, super gross, man. And the disappearance of Jim Hopper is added to that. He's the number. He's the thirtieth member of, of person who died. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But so, I think it was a strong moment. I think Billy and the Flayed were a great set of villains for season three. I think so too. Where would you put them in your rating, Anthony? Well, the Flayed, I think they're very dangerous. I I give them a seven point five in, in the danger category. I give them a seven point five. She too, yeah. they just she just murked her parents, no problem. Yeah, and they can just keep producing and producing. And yeah. uh, I'm telling you, like that's why I, I like season three a lot because of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and that theme yeah. throughout the whole thing. I would say because you can't put them as too dangerous because they're still just human beings. Obviously, they have a little bit more strength than a human being, but like you could you could if you had a gun, you could shoot one's head off. So. Were you not listening? Oh, I'm sorry. If you kill one of them, they just break apart and form into other monsters. Oh, yeah, I guess that's... So you can't really get rid of them unless you have like I a ton of fire. So. Yeah, so 7.5 is good. Yeah. 7.5 is good. 7.5, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Next up, we have Little Dart, or Dartanin, which is the name of the Three Musketeer character that... Uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, oh, how's his name? <laughs> Dustin. I'm Dustin. sorry, Dustin. Dustin. So it's Dart Anon. Dartanon. Dartanon. You Dartanon. say you say it as one thing with the the apostrophe. Dartanon. So it's the apostrophe Dartanon, and you say Dartanon. Dartanon. Yeah. So Dart basically start starting as a type of larva. This creature forms transforms into a polywalk. So okay, sorry. Let me re back back up a little bit. Dart is one of the earliest forms of the Demogorgon's evolution stage. So it starts as a type of larva. larva and then this creature transforms into a polywog. Then a that's the first evolution, and then and the third evolution is a bellflower. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it, but it's one of the early evolutions. I believe this is the first evolution of the demogorgon, the first stage of life, basically like a type of larva. Dart still maintains. How, I'm sorry. So eventually, Dart will turn into a demodog, and then eventually, the demodog is the prerequisite. I mean the. Uh, penultimate stage before it turns into the Demogorgon. Now, when returning home after trick-or-treating, Dustin heard a noise coming from a trash can upon investigation. He discovered a little creature and placed it in his little ghost trap. And he placed the creature in his tortoise tank and fed it a Three Musketeers bar. That's where he got the name for the Dartanon. After the character of <laughs> Dartanon. <laughs> I saw you hesitate and you like looked at it. You're like, oh man. <laughs> French man. <laughs> <laughs> Dartnon lived a Dart lived a relatively luxurious life as Dustin's pet. The other members of the party were immediately suspicious of Dustin's discovery, and then he is forced to care for Dart in secret. However, Dart was not seen again until the group were trying to exit the tunnels underneath the pumpkin patch when they were stopped it by it blocking their way. Recognizing Dustin, Dart, which ha who had transformed into the demodog at this point. Did not kill Dustin because he recognized Dustin. Dustin gave him another Three Musketeers bar, and then he refused the orders of the Mind Flayer to attack everyone it saw. And it just went away and let them live. And speaking of Three Musketeers bar, you loved them as a kid. Oh, yeah, dude. You would eat them up. That, that was your go-to. chocolate nougat, man. Yeah, that was your go-to candy bar. Loved it so I was much. a Snickers guy. You were a Three Musketeers guy. I think. Do you think that the uh, Duffers were inspired by Pokemon with the uh, evolution of the creature? Maybe, 
I mean, kind of, I, I'm sure a little bit, yeah, because we'll actually get into more of the evolutionary stages of the Demogorgon eventually when we start talking about it, but this is the, the early stage of it. How many hit points do you think it needs to get? How many XP points? So it's probably, you, you gotta beat the crap out of some meta, metapods, metapods and, and like centerpiece. Rat, ratatas. Caterpies. Caterpies. You gotta go in those grassy areas and just All day. You gotta spend an entire summer doing it. You know what's the worst? Like when you're trying to build up and then you keep getting like the ratatas that are like one level yeah and so you're like, like you beat them you get like 12 nothing. experience points you're like oh great because you you don't know what you're gonna get you're gonna like waste the time and then you yeah. and then you try to leave the fight and, and then sometimes want to leave sometimes the rats is like no man we're fighting you called me out bro you called me out are oh, you trying to leave you trying to leave i'm a rat on your ass i'm gonna tail whip you to death bro act like a bitch <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i feel like because the 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 creature transforms its shape it, it's very harkens back to pokemon absolutely so in terms of strengths dart isn't very strong at all he's just a little cute little guy it's not until he turns into a demodog that it's actually really a threat but it still has that strong thick skin with able to withstand a lot of uh, damage like all the other creatures from the upside down dart can also dig tunnels in the earth allowing him to escape the Henderson Storm Cellar. Also reminiscent of Gremlins. Oh, yeah, where, you're right. uh, where a teenager has a dangerous creature as a pet. I got a little bit of flubber, too, because his next evolutionary form, one of them before the Demodog, is it stays the same shape, but it changes green. Uh-huh. So it reminded me of flubber. Flubber. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. Little green but creature. I definitely, I definitely see Gremlins with uh, Don't Feed Him After Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> but Dart's very cute. Yeah, he's adorable. Let's move on to... Oh, for, what do you, for a monster. What do you give Dart for, Dart for a threat? I give him a three. Give him a three. I feel like he's like... Because like, there's, there's, there's dogs that are dangerous. Not like You can come across a dangerous dog every once in a while in your life. and even, so Even a little one? I'm not talking about demo dogs. I'm talking about little Dart. Well, Dart, like, he's got a big mouth, doesn't he? Like, kinda, the way he eats? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, so I think he can mess you, you up. You probably bite your finger off yeah, easy. absolutely. For sure. If you piss him off, you don't have enough Three, three Musketeer bars. You could probably burrow right into your face. Yeah, I'd say I'd say he's definitely dangerous, but he seems so friendly that you can't make him super dangerous. He'd, like, kill you by accident. Yeah, and be sad about it. He'd try to hug you and, and then just, he, like, then end up ripping you. your head off. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a threat there. Yeah. Gotta he's be careful. pretty docile, though. He's very cute. Moving on to the Demo Bats. These are the flying predatory creatures. Originating from the Upside Down, we got them in Season 4. They appear in that season and are mostly associated with Vecna and appear to have that direct link to his mind as well, with a hive mind, with everything else. They only appeared in the Upside Down in that season, so we can only assume that they'll be released into the right side up at some point, which would be really cool. Yeah. Now, the Demobat is the unofficial name that's never referenced or said inside the show, but they have a bat-like appearance and vague similarities to the Demogorgons at the same time as well. Like all organisms native to the Upside Down, Demobats are controlled by the hive mind of the Mind Flayer and then in controlled in turn by Vecna following his arrival in 1979. Eddie Munson unfortunately meets his demise due to the Demobats. Ironically, one of his tattoos was a flock of bats. Demobats are capable of biting through fabric and leather, according to the lead makeup artist Amy L. Forsyth. I love them. They were a great addition for creature feature, and I love the just in the trailer you see these crowd, these groups of bats flying, and and the poster the bats are featured pretty prominently. So I'd say in the marketing it got me very excited to see a creature like this, a flying creature we hadn't seen before in the Stranger Things universe. So I think it was a brilliant addition, super dangerous, super lethal. Some of the best scenes of the entire season 
uh, four were involving the bats. I love when Eddie and Dustin are holed up in that little like uh, caravan trailer, the trailer, and they're breaking through. It's a terrific scene. I love that sequence. And then, uh, I but I would say they're not super, super, super dangerous because it's they they aren't great at killing. Because when when if it's one on one, you could take it out. Yeah, I feel definitely you could take it out, no problem. But it's it could bite you. A swarm, a swarm, is swarm tougher. Kill you. Yeah, but I think that in the danger level, you need to have a swarm to be really dangerous. And Eddie lasted a while by himself against yeah. a swarm of them, even though he only had just the spear and the trash can lid to defend himself yeah. when he was out in the open. And Steve, once the once the other kids showed up, they they defended him pretty easily. I, I bet you five could kill you by but easily if you don't have a weapon. You probably you, you don't stand a chance because the tail strain, the tail that wraps around your neck is yeah. definitely oh yeah definitely for sure. very strong yeah. but like they just all wrapped like around his limbs and took him down. It's like a flying face hugger mm. in a kind lot of, of ways. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it definitely the with design face hugger sure. with wings. I think it was a great idea. They needed something aerial. We've had all sorts of creatures that are just limited to the ground or crawling on walls and stuff like that, and some swimming here and there. But to have an aerial monster and swarms of them was a great idea. It was fresh and it was terrifying at the same time. Plus. That sequence of Eddie playing Master of Puppets with the Demobats flying around, that is my favorite scene from season four. Yeah, it's, it's super epic. Super cool. Yeah. So badass. 100%. You know, the the bats remind me, like, what I would love to see in the future, I don't know what their plans are, but, like, if there are more upside-down versions of animals of our side, like, imagine, like, an upside-down bear. Ugh. Like, that would be crazy. Or, like, an upside-down lion. Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, I wonder. It, it seems like organic beings are not in the upside down or don't have opposite versions of themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? There aren't. There's there's vine life, and but there isn't really living. Maybe plant they'll life. be able. To, maybe they'll be able to like possess animals and and turn them. Maybe make, make them like. I think they just have their own creatures. Yeah, I think I that's guess what so, it is. Yeah. yeah, you know. Otherwise, there'd be upside down humans. That's true. Upside down dogs and cats everywhere. So yeah. I think it's just their own monsters. The the monsters that Vecna discovered. Yeah. You know, he's basically it seems like Vecna's created the upside down to what it is. Uh-huh. Versus what it was when he went in there and found it. Yeah, I suppose. But maybe there's like a huge untapped resource of upside down creatures that we don't know of. I'm sure we'll get some yeah. new ones. That'd be really great. Yeah. Maybe upside down cats. <laughs> <laughs> a little Juno. <laughs> All right, what are you giving the uh, the bats? The bats. I'm giving the swarm of bats uh, a seven point five out of ten, and then one bat on its own. I'm giving a six out of ten. I'm giving them an eight out of ten. A swarm. Mm-hmm. You if you you can make it out if you have a bike. Yeah. Um, but they are one, terrible one, at chasing people on bikes. One on one. Five out of ten. I'll fuck, that thing, ten. fuck yeah. that thing up. Mess it up. <laughs> Mess it up. <laughs> Moving on to. The Demodogs. Demodogs are infantile versions of Demogorgons, the penultimate stage of development of the beast's unusual life cycle. With canine-like qualities, these monsters are true hunters and work with a pack mentality that differs from the hive mind, although they are undoubtedly still connected. Hence why Dart was able to not obey his master, the Mind Flayer, and spare Dustin and his friends. Interesting. I love the Demodogs. They were super scary, especially in the entire sequence within the lab, the last two episodes of that season. Uh, Bob's death is tragic, but also, like, really affecting and showed the danger of these beasts. They're super fast, very lethal, uh, very dangerous beings. I think they were a great addition for season two. And plus their mouths, you know, they're they're developing that blossom flower kind yeah, of mouth super tulip, cool like yeah. kind of mouth that the 
that the demogorgons have and it's just like mixed with a dog it's really terrifying the way it feeds on its victims and its prey like the way it bites bob newbie with the blood splattering everywhere it seems like very horrific and painful to be eaten by one <laughs> like just gonna throw it out there. <laughs> but they're very strong as well very fast like anthony said yeah. and great hunters and they will kill you and without a hesitation yeah i think they're they're awesome they're pretty scary yeah and again this is the penultimate stage before they turn into demogorgons and they walk upright yeah and so the thing with the evolution it's kind of like the xenomorphs and alien where they just need sustenance and nourishment to reach the next evolutionary phase 100 mm-hmm. percent. what are you giving the demodogs i'm giving the demodogs an eight an eight on a ten i'm giving them eight out 8.5 nice like I don't know how how long I could outrun one for, but it would not be easy. And oh, yeah. they'd, they'd get me eventually. But yeah. if you're in like a house with a strong door, I think you'd be okay. Yeah, I don't think they could get through a strong barrier. But like in the open, you're done. Actually, I mean, I haven't rewatched season two in a while, but I'm pretty sure they, they knocked down a hospital door. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. So like if and you're... And then um, they, we see them where Hopper leads one out and that one breaks through a door. Yeah, yeah, that alone it broke through a door. If you have a torch, yeah. I think you'll be okay. You'll be able to keep them at bay. If that torch goes out, you're done. Yeah, but if you have if you have a good weapon, I think you can hold your own pretty well. If you have a like a, a spear, would be ideal. Like one on one, you might be able to take it yeah. out. You might be able to. So I'm gonna give it an eight out of five. Ready to move on? Pretty what, dangerous. You said eight, right? Yeah, I said eight. Moving on to the hospital monster. This thing was disgusting. The hospital monster was a lesser physical form of the mind flayer that vaguely resembles a crab born from the remains <laughs> a crab. of the flayed humans, Bruce Lowe and Tom Holloway. It consisted entirely of Ugh. bones and cartilage and gunk and goop and grossness. It appears within the hallway of Hawkins Memorial Hospital in season three. Remember that sequence with Nancy and... Um, freaking uh jonathan jonathan i'm sorry i'm like it's so it's really hot in the studio yeah it's hot in here. i'm like dehydrated yeah. as hell right now it's, it's <laughs> like 95 we can't have the ac on so bear with us as we just lose our trains of thought and try to stay awake <laughs> it's pretty, I, I, what was my, the thing my next sentence is at hawkins hospital nancy wheeler jonathan byers fought the flight humans bruce low and tom holloway <laughs> so upon being killed like i said earlier Lowe and Holloway's bodies dissolved into an organic mass of flesh, which flowed down a hallway and emerged a monster from the, from the merged remains and grew as it ate the remaining organic matter. This creature was under the control of the Mind Flayer and began attacking the pair, chasing after them through the building in the hospital. I like how in the trailer for season three, they didn't show the giant monster in the trailer. They saved that. Yeah. And they showed the trailer ended with this monster in the hallway with the fast pushing. And then it cut to black. Very scary. Yeah. So that was the trailer. That was. I think it was really smart to not show the final, the final form of the monster. Spider monster. Yeah. And so fortunately, they were saved by Eleven when she busted down the door with her powers and fought the beast, beating it to a pulp. And with her where, bare hands. But then it eventually reabsorbed and in, into the Mind Flayer's next proxy. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, the Blob. Kind of. Remember that movie, The Blob? Yeah. That was crazy. It's kind of a combination of the monster from The Thing as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, spider monster yeah. and the hospital monster definitely influenced by 100%, The Thing. 100%, yeah. Absolutely. It's terrifying. It's horrific. If if I saw The Thing, I, I don't know what I'd do. I'm giving like, the rest of these monsters, they're all 10 out of 10. The danger on that's 10 out of 10. 10, out of 10. If you don't have a superpower being, there's no way you defeat it. Absolutely not. It's, like, it's Nancy and Jonathan like, would have been killed if it wasn't yeah, for 11. Yeah, so 10 out of 10. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, damn, Jonathan didn't die. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right, next up, we have 
one of the best <laughs> monsters and creatures in science fiction in the last five years, I would say, is the Demogorgon. The Duffer Brothers describe the Demogorgon as an interdimensional being that has more in common with the shark from Jaws than Pennywise from it. When the monster enters our dimension, it's like a shark breaching the water. Very much like a shark, it drags its prey back to its home where it feeds. Many of the scenes with the Demogorgon were done practically with Mark Steger portraying the Demogorgon in a practical suit with an animatronic head. CGI, used, CGI was used for scenes that required the Demogorgon to do things a man in a suit could not possibly do. It is terrifying. It is the big bad of season one. What I love about season one is how small in scope it is compared to the rest of the show now that we're at season four. And you think like, oh, the Demogorgon, like that's the monster, that's, the worst that's it. Could, yeah. what, what could possibly worse, be worse than this because it's so terrifying? But even in season four, when we, have, we have other Demogorgons still as terrifying as it was in the first season. I think this is the most iconic monster of the series because it's it's on like so much of the clothing and merchandise. You have a jacket with it and the, the mug has it. And so I think the Demogorgon, the, the iconography of it is really strong. And resonates so well with audiences, even after all these seasons. Like, I think people are more likely to buy something with a Demogorgon on it. And it's a great name uh, from the game as well. I think it was a terrific design. It was so unique. Its face, the way it fed. Uh, they did a terrific job portraying the animal and the creature. Uh, kudos to the team. It's super scary. Super deadly. And the finale of the season is one of the highlights of the entire show. L taking on Demogorgon one-on-one in the hallway. And how did it come to Hawkins? How did it find its way through into our world? We all remember when Eleven was a test subject in Hawkins' laboratory. With being forced to use her psychokinetic abilities, made trans-dimensional contact with this creature in, in the past. A gate between the dimensions opened at the lab, and the creature set foot in Hawkins and began hunting, killing, and kidnapping various local townspeople. It was a great moment where she's approaching it, and we only see it from behind. And the audience is, you're not totally afraid of it yet, because you only see, like, the back of it. And then once she touches it, it turns around and screams, and you're like, oh, crap! It's a great moment. Terrific. I still think season one... Is, I think season one's the scariest season, maybe possibly still, because of the Demogorgon and the great horror elements they were using in their filmmaking just for this creature, which was incredible sequences, especially with Joyce inside the cabin by, in the house by herself. Oh, yeah, that was a great moment with the shotgun. Great job. So it's excellent. The Demogorgon is the unofficial title of this creature. However, Eleven and her friends use the nickname Demogorgon in reference to the original monster from the ninth, from the game Dungeons and Dragons because she was holding it and used that piece when she was describing the monster that she saw. Very clever. The powers of the Demogorgon include interdimensional travel, like we talked about already, superhuman strength. The Demogorgon has outstanding physical strength. It can break through solid walls and is able to easily overpower and carry a fully grown man. Uh, superhuman durability. It's pretty tough to kill this thing. The only thing that really seems to hurt it is fire, except for the weaknesses, which is basically just its mouth when yeah. it's open. Uh, telekinesis, the Demogorgon appeared to have some form of telekinetic power. It unlocked the hatch in the buyer's front door when pursuing Will. It is also possible that it used this power to pull the deer and may contribute to its physical strength despite a visible lack of muscle. Blood detection, the Demogorgon was strongly attracted to blood and could sense even small amounts from different dimensions, hence the shark analogy. And regenerative healing factor. After being trapped and set on fire, the Demogorgon appeared to have a healed have healed most of its injuries after a short period of time. 
And it was terrific in season four. Hopper battling it one-on-one, taking it down, chopping its head off. It was one of my favorite moments of the season. It was fantastic. And now there are six stages of development for a Demogorgon. First is the larval stage. Then is the polywog stage. Next is stage three, where the stage cycle, again, is just a different color. It turns the polywag skin, starts to take a dark green color, like I said about dart earlier on. Um, sharp te- teeth start to form as well in the creature's mouth. Stage four, the polywag has eaten a sufficient amount of food. It molts, growing a little larger than a household cat. So getting a little bigger. So there's your Demo-Cat, Anthony, is uh, stage four of the Demogorgon. <laughs> stage five, as we talked about just previously, is the Demodog. And then stage six is the Demogorgon. They can stand at approximately six to ten feet tall. I would give the Demogorgon a ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Yeah. It's also one on one. It's oh man, that thing will mess you up. Absolutely. Without a even with a yeah. weapon, like you got you got to have fire somehow. Yeah. So it'll take you out. Ten out of ten. One of the biggest threats in the show. Also, the first character named after a Dungeons and Dragons character, a first monster. Yeah, and it became obviously synonymous with the show. So definitely. Terrifying monster, one of the goats of the entire series. Next up, we have the spider monster. It was created from the melted remains of the flay to serve as a physical body for the part of the mind flayer that had been trapped in Hawkins following the closure of the gate. The monstrosity was essentially an enormous weapon the mind flayer had created to kill Eleven and eventually her friends. Therefore, eliminate... And therefore, eliminate the only thing standing in its way from annihilating the human race and taking over the Earth. This monster was present in Season 3, specifically at the Mall, controlled by the Mind Flayer. It is disgusting, terrifying, a raging monster of bits and pieces of human flesh and bones and marrow and gunk and (laughs) tentacles and does whatever the Mind Flayer wants to kill everything. It also attacked him at the cabin. It, yes. was, it was breaking through the roof and stuff. and Wounded it, L. Yeah, wounded L. It was a terrific sequence because once she got hurt, they were all screwed. Uh, but I loved seeing it crashing through the ceiling. And then when they – because we, we didn't know how big it was. And then when they escaped and drove off, then we got the shot of it next to the house for scale. And you're like, damn, that thing is huge. Massive. So it was a great sequence before the mall scene. And the tentacle that – it protrudes from inside of its mouth. That is obviously a reference and influenced by the internal mouth of a xenomorph. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, it stated that about 30 bodies, 29 bodies-ish, were inside this monstrosity that created the being of the spider monster. Except for Hopper wasn't in there because he didn't die. But also Billy still was a member of the Flayed, and it was never a part of the spider monster. It also seems to uh, it can change its short the shape of its limbs because it stabs Billy like it's it's it seems to have like a sharp sharpened point of its of its tentacle like very sharp and hard. When it's it like stabs a T one thousand with organic yeah, matter. Exactly. Yeah. So it can sh- shape shift Terminator two. Yeah. It, it, in certain ways, the liquid metal guy. Yeah. Like him. Yeah. <laughs> Except with bones and, and grossness <laughs> and muscles. Go. Imagine what the smell is. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, it, how does it? How does it not like get? grosser and, and just <laughs> start to become it's on antibiotics nasty it's, no it's got citrus all over it to preserve it so it's Lemon so bad Ugh, like like rotten meat is just disgusting yeah, yeah. it smells so bad but it was a it was a great finale of season three all uh, all in all it was it wasn't one of the it wasn't the best season but i think it was a lot of fun very scary and then the final confrontation was great because i loved that l lost her powers and so the ensemble cast 
had to band together to figure out how to stop this thing. I think that was definitely a strength to the season that improved upon season two. Yeah, it was a great climax. And so there are actually only two creatures, monsters left. We have the Mind Flayer and then Vecna to talk about. However, we'll go into our intermission. We'll bring on our special Chosen One Patreon guest, John. And then we'll go through the intermission. And then we'll finish up the final two monsters with him and get his opinions. It should be a ton of fun. Sounds great. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order today. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their arsenal, as well as a huge selection of all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting. So whatever your poster needs are, they got you covered. We have a bunch of these posters on our set. They are high quality, the best posters money can pay for. Again, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Raiders of the Lost podcast is also brought to you by our good friends at Manscaped.com, the leaders in men's grooming. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout from Manscaped.com. And guess what? You'll get 20% off and free shipping on your entire order. I got to recommend getting their Boxer Briefs 2.0. It's my favorite product that they sell because they're so comfortable. They're so soft. They got a little extra space for your junk, which makes for a pleasant walking experience, working out experience, I highly recommend them. Also, Manscaped launched their Platinum 4.0 collection this year, which features their incredible lawnmower 4.0 groomer. This thing has a built-in light. It's waterproof, 7,000 RPM motor. It is skin safe. It will not hurt you or pluck you or nothing down there. You can use this thing in the shower if you want. It has a wireless charger. This collection also comes with body wash, 2-1 shampoo conditioner, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Deodorant, Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Spray Toner, Boxers, and a Shed Travel Bag. So head on over to Manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. you got 20% off for free shipping worldwide. All right, everyone. Let's head on into our intermission. And we are joined by our Chosen One patron, John Agratz. He's been a Chosen One patron for over three months Meaning that he gets to have a little guest segment on the show. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Uh, I'm really excited to be on for this episode uh, specifically. So thank you for having me on. You're welcome. We're, we're so appreciative of your support. You've thank been a you. patron for so long and you've been a supporter for it seems like the entire two and a half years that we've had the show. And we're so glad you found us and that you're part of the community now. You're on the discords and everything. So it's really fun. We're, yeah. We appreciate you so much. Your support means a lot to us, pal. Yeah, it's all about the content you guys publish, though. Like, without you guys, you know, none of the uh, conversations we have at work or, you know, with, with my wife uh, would be as interesting. So we're always talking about the twins. and <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. That's and you awesome. also recently have just started your own podcast as well. How about you tell us about that? I did. So I heard about the masterclass that you guys put out, and I was really interested buy it so i went ahead and, and i got the master class and started looking at certain options of what i could do with um one of my friends luke uh, luke carroll he works with me and so we started like a sports podcast it's going to be it's called the lfg moment podcast um we, we explain what what the name is in the first episode that is going to be releasing on tuesday we're going to have episodes on tuesday um uh, regularly and if not um we're going to keep the, the fandom updated with that 
but um yeah it's a it's a startup podcast with uh you know sports content and just crazy cold takes or you know like regular takes as well so um yeah we we are on spotify right now only that's awesome. Can't wait. And, uh, you guys going to have us on your Tom Brady episode. LFG podcast. LFG. Let's go. Yeah. When you guys do Tom Brady, we will be there. Yeah. <laughs> you should do an entire. Uh, absolutely. We're, we're, we have Tom to do Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> this, this guy already brought up um, my, my co-host. He's always bringing up Tom Brady. I mean, he's, he's a Boston guy. So even yeah, though he's yeah. with Tampa Bay, he, he's going he's gonna to go for him. Oh, oh yeah. don't worry. We're, we're the same way. We still love the guy. Now, let's head into our intermission. John prepared questions and answers for us as well. So we'll start with the movie quote competition. Gentlemen, are you ready? I will begin. Ready. I'm ready. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> one, more, one more time. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. Oh, man. You got me stumped with that one. I... I... <laughs> It's Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. <laughs> my boss. My boss is gonna kill me for that. That's his favorite movie. It's when Dowdy he's uh, dressed in in the disguise that he throws it all off. He's got dual wielding machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Anthony. All right, my quote is: It's two characters talking. So the first character says, "Well, so the first character gets angry that the first character is destroying a phone." And approaches them and says, Harry, it's an inanimate object. And then Harry says, you're an inanimate object. <laughs> oh, this is, what is this? Oh. Harry, it's an inanimate object. Well, I'll say I'll say the F word because you just said the F word. I'll, I'll have to cut them out. But so the, the quote goes, it, the quote goes, it's an inanimate fucking object. And then he goes, you're an inanimate fucking object. Oh, that makes it more clear. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's a lot of the, sounds like comedy. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of cussing in the movie. That's that's a pretty good oh hint. My. Oh, is uh, no, it's not. What, Harry, what? it's not Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> um, damn, I'm blanking. I feel like I'm gonna be really upset when I when I hear this. Are right, you guys stumped? Yeah. It's in Bruges. In Bruges. In Bruges. In fucking Bruges. Ray finds, uh, finds his character and his wife get in that argument. That's right. All right, John. What's your quote? What? Sorry, I oh. always get so mad when I when I know like after the fact, after hearing the quote, and I'm like, man, I knew that. Breaks, Especially when it's up my heart. Yeah. Systems. Breaks my heart yeah. every time. Yeah. I, I I think so little of myself afterwards. No, you don't do that. You're a great, you're a great guy. You're a smart guy. You know what's up with all this down talk? All right, you're right. Yeah, you're you're a fabulous guy. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, John, what's your uh, quote comp quote competition quiz question? It's a lot of words. <laughs> what's your quote competition quiz comp? It's on here. It's on here. I'm dying. All right, guys. So my three for uh, the movie quote competition today is. Why is it when men play, they always play at killing each other? That's a great one. Great quote. One of our favorite movies. Oh, I love this. If I hadn't seen this movie 37 times. Did you pick that because you know we love it so much? No. So I, I was like, they like that movie a lot. I feel like they're going to miss it. Oh, yeah. It's Talented Mr. Ripley. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When they're, when they're swimming Mr. off off the bird yeah. boat. Yeah. Bird. I mean, bird. bird. The boat bird. Ask me what the name of my boat is. <laughs> bird! <laughs> That's a pretty good impression. <laughs> Both of us, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> oh, man. Good, good stuff, guys. Great movie. All right, it's time for the movie release year competition. What year 
did natural born killers come out? Good one. Oliver Stone made this. It came out after True Romance. I'm gonna go 1996. John, what's your guess? I'm gonna go 1997. 1994 was the oh, answer, gentlemen. Whoa. That was the answer. Good one. Good one. Thanks, man. Good one. Great year for movies. It was pretty solid. All right. My movie release year is Phone Booth, starring Colin Farrell. Uh, Oliver Stone directed this. <laughs> he did not direct it. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, I have a movie Sorry. podcast, man. Oh, man, I just <laughs> forgot my light is off. Your light is off? Can you kick my light on? <laughs> Hold on one sec. <laughs> We're still rolling, but it's all good. So I we came back from break because we had to cool off the, the studio, and we had to take unplug one of the lights to turn a fan on, and it's off, and now it's on, and now my shot is right so sorry if you're watching on i think YouTube. that was my fault if you're watching on youtube or on spotify podcast video my shot was dark for a little bit but we're back in action wow now i can see yeah it's much brighter, it's a lot brighter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 19, 1994 was the answer oh yeah so phone booth phone booth with colin farrell i'm gonna guess 2002 john i'm going with 2003 it was 2002 let's go great guess jim wow lfg excellent guess. that is pretty good lfg <laughs> <laughs> all right what's your movie release here so my movie release here is a korean movie it's uh memories of murder directed by bong yo um young ho i think it said bong joon ho yeah B- bong joon ho there you go so memories of, of murder great movie 2005, 2005. 2005 is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> 2003. Oh! We both... Uh, we, we, were, we were about to do an air five. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I thought that was it. <laughs> not, not a bad guess. Oh, yeah, man. For any, anyone who's a fan... You of, just watched it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, for the first time yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago. So anyone who's a fan of, of Bong Joon-ho, obviously made Parasite Snowpiercer. Check his movie out that... Memories of Murder. It's excellent uh, murder mystery, serial, serial killer mystery. It's, it's, it's like in really the vein good. of Zodiac, kind of. Um, in very similar tone and style, and it's really phenomenal. It's awesome. Yeah. Moving on to the movie pop quiz, guys. Robert Downey Jr. has two Oscar nominations. What films are they for? Chaplin. Did you say Academy Award nominations? Academy Award Academy nominations. Award. Yes, Chaplin and you thinking Sherlock with the Golden Globe. Yeah, he won that because he was also nominated for Tropic Thunder for a Golden Globe, but not an Oscar. That I think. So I'm so going to Chaplin. Go... Chaplin's right. Chaplin and which anyway, if you haven't seen Chaplin, watch it ASAP. It's an incredible film. Such a good performance. I'm going to go Chaplin and Tropic Thunder. Those are my guesses, John. I think Chaplin and Spotlight. It is Chaplin and Tropic Thunder. Oscar oh, nomination. No way. Crazy, right? So two two Tropic Thunder uh, questions there. It's, it's... I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. <laughs> you got any tips? Got any tips? Got any tips? Any tips? You looking cut up like Rambo, like Rambo <laughs> 2. Not Rambo 1, but like Rambo 2 when he's all jacked up. I'm the dude disguised as a dude playing another dude. Classic. <laughs> All right, Anthony, movie pop quiz time. What do you got? 
Colin Farrell replaced Matt Damon in a f- role in what major science fiction movie? Huh. Um. So Matt Damon had a role, and then Colin Farrell replaced him, and it's a big action sci-fi. I movie. think I know what it is. Do you know what it is, John? I'm trying to put my finger on it, but I don't think I know. So was it? Is it Total Recall? Incorrect. Is it? So Matt was up for it. Colin took it over. Matt had it, and then he was replaced because of scheduling conflicts. Huh. Colin Farrell. Let's see. Big sci-fi films. He's done Total Recall. That's a remake. I, I don't. Total Recall. Like he was the the lead from the start. Yeah. That was his franchise attempt. Um. Crap. What's a big Colin Farrell sci-fi film besides that? I'm blanking. I have no idea. Minority Report. Oh my goodness, yep. you're right. And he's great in it. Yeah, he is. My Matt would have killed that too. Yeah. Such a good movie. Yeah. I didn't Damn. know Matt Damon was up for that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know Damon was up for that at all. We got all we got all the facts. You know that. We got all the facts. This <laughs> <laughs> is true. That's why I listen to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John, what's your pop quiz question? All right, so how many Academy Awards? does anthony hopkins have and for bonus points you can name the two and how many nominations <laughs> i was gonna say you pulled i was gonna anthony. say two i was gonna say two you He's, pulled an anthony you said two yeah it's, it's the silence of the lambs and the father yeah. oh dang <laughs> sorry anthony's done that like three I pulled, times i pulled one of his i've done that i've done that before for sure <laughs> what was, let's re- let's rephrase the question which what are they you know silence <laughs> of the lambs and the and father, the father. Okay, and what else has he been nominated for? Nominated. Oh, what else has he been nominated for? Um, ask Oscar nomination. I don't know. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be pissed at myself. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blanking. Oh man, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, tell us. All right, so yeah, he won for Silence of the Lambs in '92 and for The Father in 2021. He was also nominated for the two popes in 2020. Oh, oh my god! Yep, um, Amistad as well in 1998. Nixon and the remains of the day. I haven't seen the last two. Nixon or the remains of the day? Damn, oh, man, that's a good question. Yeah, that was yeah. You got us. I can't believe I missed a couple of those because I love those movies. I can't man. believe I messed it up at, at the at the start of the. Ah, uh, no worries. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done that literally like five times, like given the answer in my question. It's all good. All right, moving on to biggest hater this week. We got a haters and the unsubscribes. Anthony, what's happening over there? Any haters? Yeah, we got some haters. Who we got? Oh, let me... anyone worth talking about? <laughs> no. Uh, we well, we just filmed this morning and we said them in that episode. But hold on, let me pull something up real quick. I got, I can pull something up. So you didn't create a new document <laughs> of new haters. You didn't look up new haters. You didn't create animosity online to get some new ones, Anthony. <laughs> I didn't. Why wouldn't you do that? Why not, man? Because I'm a lover, man. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm a friggin' lover. Oh, okay, here we go. I'm just gonna say overall, as a hater, we posted a clip about House of the Dragon. And how House Valerian is the first like major Game of Thrones house with people of color, uh, uh, black characters, as that family. And we posted a clip about that, and the comment section was horrible. I can't, I can't believe like how many comments there are of people who are like, 
calling it woke and like BS and so dumb and just Hollywoodizing something. And I, I was shocked at the level of hate at that. And I was like, I thought this was like a really cool thing and so awesome to have on the show. And I was just like, these that's the biggest hater of the week. Just like that entire comment section. It was pretty bad, yeah. man. It's a pretty it's, bad. It did not pass the vibe check at all. No. And very toxic comments. Lots and, of people talk about tokenism and stuff. I was like, guys, just what's so wrong about having some people of color in the show? God forbid there's a black guy yeah. in the show. Like, oh my <laughs> like, God. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't worry. There's still, um, there's still mostly white <laughs> there's people. There's a bunch of white people it's in the show, too. Mostly white people still. Like, Jesus Louise. Oh, my goodness. Man. Holy what, was crap. Was this for uh, House, of, House of the Dragon? House of yeah, the Dragon. House, House so, of the Dragon, House yeah. Valerian has been changed for the show to be a family of, of black people. So people got really upset about that because it doesn't fit the lore, apparently. And the original book, Fire and Blood, they say it doesn't fit the the folklore. It's 2022. Can we just get past this? Can black can some black people see themselves in a TV show? Like God, like, God come forbid. on. It's crazy. There was like 60 comments of people like yeah. really upset about it. Yeah, so that's the biggest hater this week. You're right. That was a pretty big hater. You know what? Y'all should unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Definitely should. Every single character isn't white. Unsubscribe. I can't believe this. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On this day in film history, today is September 1st in 1954. The masterpiece Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, is released. In 1978, the horror film Dawn of the Dead, written and directed by George A. Romero, premieres in Torino. In 1989, Roger and Me, the first documentary directed by Michael Moore, premiered at the Telluride Film Festival. In 2006, Crank and Idiocracy came out. <laughs> And happy birthday to Scott Speedman and Zendaya. My streaming recommendation, or Zendaya, I'm sorry. Is it Zendaya or Zendaya? It's Zendaya. 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 I remember I said Zendaya and people got really upset with me. Yeah, it was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. (laughs) People don't forget. (laughs) It's like eight years ago, man. Yeah. She's um, got a lot of fans out there. Yeah, Yeah, she's pretty popular. She's pretty big. (laughs) My streaming recommendation is Under the Skin on HBO Max. Great pick. My pick is... Martha Marcy, May Marlene, which is available on Hulu. It was Elizabeth Olsen's breakout film. Elizabeth Olsen's breakout yeah, film. I heard that. I just said it Olsen's. like Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester, <laughs> Sylvester the cat. Sylvester, it was Elizabeth Olsen's. Uh, she's wonderful in the film. It's a terrific psychological thriller. Uh, John Hawkins is in it as well. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Check it out. John, you got a recommendation? Yeah, my stream recommendation today is... Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick, starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. It's on Netflix now. Excellent pick. I saw that on there. I saw it um, on the on Netflix the other day. Dun, 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 it's dun, it's a great Christmas movie, honestly. Oh, it's wonderful. People forget that it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, let's head back into our episode on Stranger Things monsters and creatures so john just to get you up to speed we've run through our list of so far the hawkins tunnel system the vines or the tendrils the flayed dart demo bats demo dogs the hospital monster the demogorgon and the spider monster the remaining two are the mind flayer and vecna but before we move on to them i just want to get your opinions on all those other ones who are your favorite monsters out of that crew the demogorgon demo dogs hawkins tunnel system what do you like out of that list so what I really like about the Demogorgon, it was, you know, it was the first one we saw on screen, you know, in the in season one. And it didn't require this like crazy SFX or anything like special effects were, were there, but it wasn't like, 
it it wasn't at the level that we we have them now and in season four. So I like the ambiguity of it. And I also like how it was the biggest thing they had encountered yet. And it's so um, small compared to the Mind Flayer or to Vagna. You know, I, I just look at it as the OG, the Demogorgon for sure. The OG monster. It's iconic. I like that. Yeah, the Demogorgon's super badass. It's the most memorable villain so far from the show. Even, I think, more memorable than Vecna at this point still. We've also been rating the monsters based on, out of 10, how dangerous they are. What do you what do you rate out of 10, the Demogorgon? Demogorgon, I, I got to go with when they first encountered it, it was definitely like, an, like a 7. You know, it was you know pretty imposing monster that could just tear you apart. But, you know, watching... Um, um uh l's dad in the last season just go at him with with a sword that was awesome that was great that was they're so still pretty cool. tough pretty tough to take down so I, I will give them a seven for sure i love that moment too that was excellent that was um conan's sword conan the barbarian, barbarian sword. sword yeah yeah which is very cool all right how about we'll move on then to the next monster on the list we'll get john in here as well where we talk about it so next up we have the Mind Flayer. Now, the Mind Flayer is an entity originating from the upside down and alternate dimension existing in the parallel universe of the human world. The Mind Flayer is gigantic, looming at 50 stories tall and sports a distinctive spider-like appearance. The Mind Flayer could wield supreme control of the upside down via a psychic link with Demogorgons, Vines, and Dumabats forming a shared hive mind. For a period in 1985... The Demogorgon possessed humans known as the Flayed, which we talked about earlier. The earliest form of the Mind Flayer was actually discovered by Henry Henry Creel between 1979 and 1983, following Henry's banishment into the Upside Down by Eleven. This version of the Mind Flayer was that storm-like mass of shadowy particles or mist that we saw in Season 4. Henry then used his powers to reconstitute the mist into a form that satisfied him, a giant spider-like entity with a flame-shaped head, not unlike the similar creature he had fantasized about and illustrated as a child. Remember those drawings that are identical to the ones that Will made, as well as his obsession with spiders that are shown in his childhood with those flashbacks to his past. So it's really interesting to find out that the Mind Flare was created by Henry when he discovered that black mass of particles in the upside down when he was banished there i have a i have a question for you guys about the mind flare so i the way i look at it is i thought that that was the big bad like we all we all assume that was the big bad and i think that was the plan to make the mind flare the big bad of the whole show and then i think they came up with the idea for vecna and reconstituted his storyline into the past of l's backstory and dr brenner's backstory and i think that it was i think it was an improvement for sure but I think that my theory is that they originally planned for the Mind Flayer to be the big, big bad of the show. And then they, I think they came up with an excellent idea for Vecna. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that they always had Vecna planned out? Or do you think they retrofitted him in after the fact, after a couple of seasons? You go ahead first, John. So uh, I do believe it's retrofitted for sure. Just because um, I saw something online saying how they added all the, all the clocks uh in the earlier seasons with Vecna, I think the writing's terrific. I mean, they, they found a way to put Vecna and make him, you know, relevant to the whole plot. And yeah, I, do, I did think that the Mind Flayer was going to be it. You know, how do you do that? You know, it's possessing people. It's freaking 30 stories tall. tall. So I thought it was going to be it for them, for the crew. 
but um I, I do like Vecna as being like the ultimate you know like the final boss I think it's going to be the final boss at least we, we don't know what they're going to throw at us in season five but uh yeah I do think they uh they retrofitted uh Vecna after the fact I think it's very similar to how we just did our episode last this past Monday on Star Wars the return of the Jedi and Lucas did not plan, the filmmakers did not plan for Luke and Leia to be twins until they were writing Return of the Jedi. So obviously the kiss and everything that happens in Empire, that didn't have any weird significance for them being siblings until the third film was being written and made. And so I think it's similar to kind of like a, not exactly a get out of jail free card, but like they were just like, I think they're just going with each season and seeing how it goes. Obviously season one, I think their main plan was like, we got this monster called the Demogorgon. And that's like all we've worked up to, which is brilliant. I mean, that's a great idea. But we did get we get uh, the tease of the mind flayer. Okay, tease of the yeah. mind flayer, right? So I, it seems like yeah, maybe the mind flayer they were thinking wasn't as interesting as what Anthony likes to always bring up when we talk about Vecna is having a humanoid monster who can speak, who has a face, who has eyes, who that the audience can really truly connect with as a villain. Whether we want to get empathy for them or pity them or be f- afraid of them. Because of the humanoid aspect of it. It's kind of like Voldemort, you know, in the books, he's got those red snake eyes and looks more like a snake. But keeping Ray Fine's human eyes makes him even more creepy and more terrifying. So I think they wanted to go the route of having an actual physical humanoid being after the maybe the Mind Flayer wasn't going to be their main go-to. So I think, like, I agree with all, both of you that they just kind of like, uh, let's say that Vecna... Was part of this the whole time? There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, yeah there's nothing, nothing wrong, with, wrong that. with it. Even yeah. though they kind of like they connected it with the the time and the clocks and everything from previous seasons and the sound effects, so they did a good job thinking like how can we connect parts of seasons one through three to an entity for season four with the new big bad. I think it works better than if it was the mind flare. I agree because I like finding out that the the mind flare was created by Henry. Because it reminded me of Dark Knight Rises, where we learned that Bane was just a pawn by Talia. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, and so I like that aspect where this assuming Big Bad is actually under the control of the real boss. So I think it was a strong and a wise decision by Duffers and the writers to go with that approach and use the Mind Flare more as a tool than the overarching superior being of everything. But it seems like the Mind Flayer has its own powers in terms of controlling the hive mind activities outside of Vecna to an extent. It doesn't seem like it completely is completely... uh, Seems like wildfire. ...obedient to uh, Vecna. So, like, at times it has its own thing, but it's got the same goals as Vecna, if that makes sense, kind of. Anyways. It's got goals. It it made, it made sense to me. All right, cool. It, it listens to Sublime. <laughs> in, Dungeon, in Dungeons and Dragons, the Mind Flayer are a race of psychic humanoids with tentacles on their faces who eat brains. They primarily use their powerful psychic abilities to mentally enslave other beings. More recent additions have given the Mind Flayers the proper name Illithids. That's not that Pretty scary. Pretty creepy. Illithids. Pretty creepy. They have a ton of strengths and weaknesses for powers and abilities. They have Niopid... Niop... Ni- Nigh omnipotence, sorry, because of their hive mind and everything like that. They know pretty much what's going on all over the place. Dimensional mut- manipulation, reality, and warping. The Mind Flayer wields unlimited influence over the upside down and its creatures being able to 
alterate the nature and state of the very dimension using its psychic powers. Dimensional interaction by weakening dimensional borders. The Mind Flayer unlocks the power to interact and manipulate other dimensions without physically being there. That's why it's more powerful when the gates are open. Telepathy. It uses the telepathy to enter people's minds. Look, locality tracking. It can discover the exact location of somebody, just like Eleven can do as well. Uh, possession. It can possess people we know it's been possessing Will, which, which seems like has been the entirety of the show so far. I'm sure we'll get more of that in Season 5. As well as flayed impairment. Biokinesis, which is the sheer force of will. It can melt host bodies and maintain a proxy body, which it does to create this, the hospital monster and the spider monster, which is super gross. Weather, weather manipulation. When Will Byers witnesses the mind flare in the Upside Down, the creature is often surrounded by a large storm consist, consisting of red lightning and thick clouds. Power negation after biting her with one of its tentacles. The Mind Flayer's proxy left a piece of itself inside of Eleven, which is what severely weakened her in her powers later that evening at the Star Court Mall battle. In biotechnology manipulation, it has proven very, very adept at genetic analysis and manipulation. Now, it has a few weaknesses. Obviously, fire and heat causes extreme pain to the Mind Flayer, which we saw with the connection with Will when they're trying to get it out of him inside the cabin with the hut lamps. And then dimensional borders are a big weakness. When the dimensional borders are closed, the Mind Flayer is at its weakest. I love the Mind Flayer. I think that Season 3 was really strong, having the Mind Flayer more, of an, more involved, especially with Billy's storyline. Very imposing force, very disturbing what it does to people and to creatures. And I like how it has a great amount of power. Uh, I think he's an extremely dangerous being. Uh, I, I love the Mind Flayer in the show. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, I'm giving flare. the Mind Flayer a 10 out of 10 on the danger scale. Super dangerous. 10 out, 10 out, of, 10, out of 10. Absolutely. John, what about you? Yeah, it's definitely taking uh, the 10 out of 10 here. Um, the Mind Flayer... I mean, nothing scarier for the human mind than the unknown. You know, at least I believe that people are scared of what they don't know. And how do you attack the thing? You know, like watching the crew, figuring it out and Billy's uh, possession as well. Like that was insane to me. Um, it is definitely like one of the most dangerous, um, you know, big, big bats of the show. We, we thought he was going to be like the, you know, the end all be all of, of all the um, monsters and stranger things, but it, it was really well produced. Um, I love the, the special effects on it. I love the uh, ambiguity of it as well because no one really knows what he's what he's doing at first. They don't know what his plan is. So I really enjoyed that uh, in season three. I really hope that season five, we get the Mind Flayer out in the world messing stuff up. That'd be sick. Like a 50-story giant spider being just messing the cities up. Messing it up. Like, I wonder how big they'll go with the scale and scope of I hope they happening. go as big as possible. Because the portal has just become enormous. Yeah. The gate is massive. Did anyone, anyone have a problem with how, like, the giant crack opened up? And then, like, there's two days where nothing happens. Yeah, it's like, why isn't everything? <laughs> and they're all chilling and, like, saying goodbye to each other. I and... think we are. I think I brought that up as to why. Yeah. I think Vecna's gaining his strength back. He I got guess. Mess, he got messed up. I guess so. He yeah. got pretty messed up. I guess so. He got lit on fire and shot, and so he's going. Poor to guy. He's, he's Mike Myers. He'll be back. He'll be it's walking around in super slow motion eventually soon. I bet he returns. I bet Vecna returns in uh, Henry form. Ooh. Little Henry? I bet. I think we'll see him in that form. Like he'll create, human form. create his human body into little Henry? I think so. Give us something different. 
I mean, hey, it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. Speaking of Henry, you want to talk about Vecna? Let's get to him. Well, what do you give Mind Flayer on a danger scale? 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Come on. Across the board. Now, Vecna is the king of the monsters and creatures of Stranger Things. He's the main antagonist in the fourth season, portrayed by Jimmy Bell Campbell Bauer as an adult and by Raphael Luce as a child. He was originally Henry Henry Creel, who was... Motivated by a nihilistic, misanthropic, and egocentric philosophy, he desired to reshape the world into his own design, considering humanity a species of corrupted and power-hungry parasites, a unique type of pest who have no regard of the world and other living beings. And it seemed like as a child, he had a very like Voldemort-like quality where he was just different and evil and just wanted wanted power, but also he wanted to watch people suffer, and that's why... He started developing his powers that he discovered he had innately, naturally, versus all these other kids who were starting to get them through the drug treatments and experimentation. These were organic and part of him. And I love season four with Henry Creel. We have so many possession movies and so many horror stories that have like a possession in the house, something scaring this family, it's the new house, whatever. But to flip it on its head and have it being the kid is the one possessing everybody and killing his own family. That was a great little twist. I think the writing was really sensational for the character, Henry and Vecna. It's the best villain they've done by far. It's one of the best villains on TV we've had in a while. Jamie Campbell Bauer did a terrific job in the performance as both Vecna and as Henry Creel. Very, very different performances. And one. Yeah, in one. Very different performances. He, he essentially played like three versions of the character. He's a very talented guy. And I think that Vecna is what the show really needed. It, it's what kept has kept me interested in the show. I because, like you said earlier, I wasn't in love with not having uh, with all these just mindless monsters in the first three seasons. And the too much teasing of the mind flare. Yeah, yeah, and the too much teasing mind flare. But also, I didn't have like a connection to the mind flare. But I thought it was so smart for them to be like, let's make a new villain that audiences can connect with because he's a human being. He starts out human. And can empathize with him in some way because he's not just some like gaseous being and he's not some mindless man eating monster. So I thought it was the best move the show did bring Vecna and Henry in. And it, and I honestly was kind of on the fence about watching season four. I wasn't super excited. I mean, I was like, oh, it's, I'm certain things for, yeah. But then I saw the trailer and they showed that shot of Vecna at the end. And I was like, okay, this is what I've been waiting for. I'm very excited now. So the trailer sold me with Vecna. John, how do you like Vecna? Yeah, like Anthony said, it was just genius writing overall. Um, The way they introduced him in the last season with every single episode having something to do directly with him or the people around him was uh, really well developed. Also, um, like like you were saying, uh, James, with the, uh, the kid being the one who is actually possessing everyone, around or not possessing but he's a one possessed or just acting different like like Voldemort and Harry Potter that was very eerie and I love the fact that um that the writers introduced him at such a great time in in the show it's like you know the the last the second to last season so it's it's a, a great build-up for the finale and uh everyone everyone's excited about it. everyone uh, couldn't stop talking about it when it first came out the main point of season four was obviously exposition to introduce Vecna with his past, but also exposition of Eleven and more of her past when she's going inside Nina, Nina confronting 
her memories to try to accept herself for what's happened in the past that she's been hiding and burying so that she can get her powers back while also learning that she's not the one that massacred all the patients and, and employees at Hawkins lab or at the lab when she was being tested on, but that it was one and one was, she didn't realize who one was until one helped her escape and took advantage of her to use her to get the chip out of the back of his, out of his neck so that he could have access to his powers because he was the original patient of the doctor. He was the original person there. He was the first child to be experimented because he on. was in a coma after the events after of his the past. events of killing yeah. his family and then brenner found him so then brenner found him and was intrigued by him and started experimenting on him and but then one was getting out of hand so brenner figured out a way to control him with that chip to control his powers and stop them he's been forced to work at hawkins lab as not quite an instructor but more of kind of like a nurse or teacher in different ways and also like i said he took advantage of 11 and then they had that big mind battle at Hawkins lab when she was a kid and accidentally banished him to the upside down which is where he discovered everything in the upside down especially the black mask which he turned into the mind flare and that's where Eleven's memories began to start suppress suppressing so that's what caused her to lose her powers in the, in the present day which she had to go back and face and remember and ha having Jamie Campbell Bauer as the character right from the get go when we first started seeing a Henry in the lab with L in the past and he just seemed like uh he just seemed like an employee and was just being kind to L because L suffers so much I immediately once I saw him I was like that guy is a very good actor and pretty well known and he's been in a lot of big movies and shows there's a then generally if there's a great actor in a what seems to be a minor role the reason why they signed on is because it's a juicy part that generally is how it goes. And so I was always anticipating something big happening with his character. And then when they're playing chess in the dialogue scene between L and one in, during that chess match, I was like, this guy's Vecna. 100%. I was like, it's 100% Vecna. 100%. She, I was like, she's going to help him get out. And he's going to freaking kill everyone. And then I've, I've connected all the dots of the massacre happening. I was like, it's definitely going to be him massacring these people. But it was that, it was that chess game. Where he started to show true sides of his personality, true colors of who he really was, and was opening himself up a little bit to L. It was great moments of writing and performances from both L and Jamie, from both Millie Bobby Brown and Jamie Campbell Bauer, and also the de aging of Millie Bobby Brown was perfect. I think it he was a great really job. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, they had a, a younger actress playing the character, but then they uh, used her face on top of it. Mm -hmm. So they did a great job. It looked it looked very real. How do you guys like the design of Vecna? I think it's great. It uh, harkens back, obviously, to Freddy Krueger, the entirely burned body, which we find how he got when Eleven banished him to the Upside Down, and he was struck by lightning multiple times, and then he just started to connect and adapt with the environment around him in the Upside Down. John, what do you think? Yeah, the the design for, for Vecna and the way they, they went about, um, one, going through the Upside Down and just getting you know when he first get there and gets there he's not like this this monster that we see um when he's like his final form uh so to speak so i believe like all those years and time and you know in, in such a, a a bad place like the upside down would do that to a person especially a person who is very sensitive to powers or has powers so whoever did the design and 
these are all practical effects too. So it, it was just a great job of the team uh, over there with Stranger Things. And on, on camera, it just looks amazing. It looks terrifying. My wife was very scared of it. And she also called that uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer. Like she was like, yeah, that, that guy's not no good. Yeah. He, he's going to, he's going to be, I was like, oh, I don't know. But then again, she, she proved, proved herself right. But um, yeah, great design of both uh, the character, how the character was uh, written and the development that it's had, it's had in um, season four. Can we all yeah, we've all seen the photo of of Jamie Campbell Bauer drinking a Starbucks coffee as Vecna in the makeup <laughs> he's like, chair. He's inside like a muscle car too. Yeah. So the practical suit was great. Yeah. But Jamie Campbell Bauer, especially, is he's an extremely talented vocal actor. He's a terrific singer. He's in Sweeney Todd. He plays one of the supporting actors in that, and he can sing. Oh, he's like, like the little assistant. He's not little. He's like, he's he's like sixteen, yeah, seventeen. Yeah, he's yeah. not a baby. Yeah. <laughs> but, little, little guy, little Jamie, little Jamie Bauer. Yeah, but he's got a wonderful voice, and he's also just got a lot of range with his voice. So he did. I mean, obviously they put some effects on his vocals when he's Vecna, but he did a lot of that deep baritone vocalization. Because he can just he has so much range with his vocal cords and his voice. So I think that hiring him was such a great call, not just because of him as an actor, but also the voice he crafted for Vecna was really terrific. Yeah, and that's actually a great point. He's a great singer. He's got a band and he's a musician and a singer and guitarist. So that definitely helped him with this role for sure. Now Vecna's curse refers to Vecna's predominant method of murder and torture using his supernatural psychokinetic abilities Vecna can probe and influence the minds of others motivated by a cruel misanthropic philosophy Vecna targets particularly particularly traumatized mentally ill or insecure individuals that's why he uses the we all we all thought that the guidance council was actually going to be a pawn in yeah. Vecna's schemes but we didn't but he ends up just trying to find all these mentally ill and mentally disturbed depressed anxious kids that go to the high school to control and possess and then for like was it was it 48 three days or is it a week how many days is it until you die from vecna's curse i think just um a week i think it's like i think it's the ring uh it's like the ring it's like the ring something like that so then after a few days you eventually die but he possesses you makes you see hallucinations from your past from your biggest fears from your biggest regrets your mistakes and your sins and your past and everything like that and when he kills you the method of murder is so fascinating but so disturbing. Like the first time we see it when Chrissy dies in the trailer when she's lifted and levitated into the air. Then her body is contorted and all her limbs start to break one at a time. The fingers, the arms, the legs bending in all different directions. And then finally her neck snaps. It's so disturbing. The sound design was terrific. It wasn't too much to make you want to vomit but it was very disturbing at the same time. The effects look great. And most importantly... Every time he murders somebody, he opens a portal in the gate between the upside down and the right side up. Yeah, I think the strength to the season in a big way were the kills. They were brutal, and they were different from what we were used to seeing in the show. I think it was a great addition in terms of creating conflict and a lot of fear and dread for the audience. Because when you saw that happen in the first episode to such a sweet person... Then you were like, wow, who else is that going to happen to? And you're, that, that really made you fearful of the whoever the antagonist was because we didn't fully know at that point. And I think that was just such great filmmaking in terms of the horror genre. What do you guys think is Vecna's most terrifying ability? Good question. Of all of them. I don't know. The, the fact of uh, the, his method of killing is pretty, pretty scary. I mean, I, 
when we first watched it, um, expecting, you know, Stranger Things just being like, it's it started, well, what it started with, you know, a sci-fi, you know, kids show. And then here we go in season four, he's just levitating people off the ground and breaking all, all their limbs and then, you know, gouging the eyes out. Um, it, it was pretty cool to see, but also very, very terrifying, very gory and very yeah. on the nose. Yeah, I think what was most terrifying about him is it's reminiscent of Freddy Krueger because with Freddy Krueger, you have to fall asleep sometime. You're gonna, no matter how long you try to stay awake, you're gonna fall asleep. So if he's haunting you, you're gonna encounter him. And I like with Vecna where he can connect with someone anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. If he's if he's haunting you, if he's if he has the connection with you, he can kill you anywhere, anytime. And it can just be in the random, most random situation, which happens with all the characters. So, I, and like, especially with the kids swimming in the water. So, I think the aspect that you're not safe anywhere, no matter what, is the scariest aspect to him. Now, his abilities include telepathy, which you've talked about, where he possesses people's minds. He can dive into people's minds to learn about their past, their fears, things that torment them, their regrets. Mindscape creation is the ability to conjure vivid imaginary locations through his cursed power to make his victims hallucinate themselves inhabiting these locations. This is him playing with his prey. It's pretty disturbing. Mental manipulation and illusion dis- inducement. Henry has demonstrated a limited variation of mind control. Whilst he does not appear to exhibit any influence over the actions or behaviors of his victims, he is perfectly capable of manipulating their perceptions and causing them to hallucinate. Psychic projection is able to cast his consciousness from outside of his physical body to explore the private lives of the people in Hawkins. Pain inducement, Harry is able to inflict minor forms of physical injuries on his victims, such as nosebleeds and severe headaches. Psionic connection, he has the ability to develop a deep and powerful psychic connection with his victims. It is through this connection that Henry is able to open multiple wormholes between the Upside Down and Hawkins, Indiana. Psionic resistance as demonstrated in Jane Hopper's memories, psychics can resist each other's influence if their will is powerful enough. However, this resistance can be overwhelmed by whichever psychic has the stronger willpower. Telekinesis, the, abil- telekinesis, the ability to control and manipulate solid matter with his mind. And regenerative healing factory can heal very quickly, which nice. I think that's what he's doing for those couple of days. His weaknesses include the Soteria, which is that miniature device of unknown technology that neutralizes a person's psychokinetic abilities when implanted, which that was in his neck. That's what Eleven took out. Exhaustion, similar to the physical muscles that are found within the human body. Excessive use of his psychic abilities without proper rest or treatment will result in deadly levels of fatigue and weariness. Music can reach sensitive areas of the human brain that words alone cannot. If, Vic- if Vecna's victims are exposed to music from the real world, it will likely disrupt or influence their hallucinations, and it's how you're able to hopefully escape the Vecna's curse. And more weaknesses, obviously, physical attacks. The hive mind connection, if used properly, is a weakness. For example, when he's under the spell and uh, Steve... Robin and Nancy are able to hurt him with the fire and the shotguns at the same time because he's distracted with the hive mind. He's also allergic to almonds. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, one of my favorite aspects to Vecna is uh, when he and El are, ch- are chatting at the end. And I was I was assuming that he was going to be so mad at her for deforming him and turning him into a monster and like he's like disgusting looking and like look i thought i was i was anticipating and be like look at what you did to me like 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 this is why I, part of the the rage that's inside me but i liked how 
he actually he loves how he looks he's glad he thinks of himself more than just human and so becoming this monstrosity he actually is happy about it and i thought that was a great twist that i wasn't expecting for the character he's always wanted to be the ultimate predator yeah. just like those spiders that he took care of and, and loved so much he's wanted to be he is a predator but he wanted to be the ultimate predator which he has become so he's kind of grateful to 11 for doing it exactly too. so he's, i like that I, I thought it was really great writing for the character although he walks so slow he's very slow he's very slow you think mike yeah. he would <laughs> lap i mean mike myers would lap this guy <laughs> At a, at a field, like, oh my god, he's so slow. <laughs> One con to Vecna is the guy is just slow motion. He's moonwalking slow-mo. He's just, my goodness. <laughs> speed it up. Like, speed, get some tennis shoes on, man, or something. Just some nice <laughs> dunks on. He should, he should get one of those shoes with the wheels on the yeah, bottoms. The, the rollerblade yeah. shoes. Yeah, the wheelies. <laughs> wheelies. Let's, let's get some back. If, if Vecna had wheelies, no one would be able Everyone to escape be him. Max and L would be done. Dead. So dead. <laughs> that would be the ultimate superpower right there. The dude can do anything he wants really in the upside down. He can do anything he wants in the upside down except walk fast. Or so actually going back to the crack problem, I think I think you have a great point. He's probably healing himself, which is why the upside down hasn't exposed itself to the the right side up. I just I guess I was a little confused because we didn't see the crack again. So maybe it would I would have liked to see the crevice again. First of all, it's a gate. Gate, sorry. Get it right, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a huge. It's physically a giant. Yeah, no, I'm. Just, yeah. I know, I'm kidding. I'm just thinking of it more like a white blood cells or something, where they yeah. wait till they're at their full yeah, strength. Yeah, I just like would have liked to see a shot of it, so we know it's like it's really there. Yeah, because it's like opened up and it tore through John. I mean, Jason, and then it's all red and glowing. Yeah, like, all the monsters are gonna like come miles through. long, and then it just like went out two days of everyone just chilling so i was i would have liked just a shot of it so we see okay there's no monsters coming because i was what was confusing for me i was like wait aren't like monsters coming out of the crack <laughs> so that's that it was confusing for me the last like 20 minutes of the episode i get it so if we if they had shown a shot of the crack no monsters coming out i would have been like oh, okay so what something because they just went like two days later right? yeah exactly yeah that's a good point that's so i guess so i like i think you're absolutely right he's probably healing himself up and preparing for uh, a second go. He's in a sauna. He's in an ice bath. He's just he's just repairing himself. He's taking some protein shakes and he's <laughs> getting jacked, man. He's at the it's gym. Pliability, man. He's at the gym, man. Yeah, Tom Brady pliability. He's he's hitting the weights right now, dude. He's he's doing heavy squats. He's like, I'm I'm ready for eleven. This teenager's not taking me out again. <laughs> it's Rocky Four. He's at a cabin in like in Russia. He's Rocky and she's <laughs> she's Drago. She's Drago. <laughs> He's just pulling stuff up with ropes. Does it make sense? No. Is it cool and glistening sweat everywhere? Yes. <laughs> All right. He kind of reminded me of the Grinch a bit. Oh, yeah. He does have uh, a times, Grinch. Yeah. yeah. Grinch. Just, just his him. posture, like his yeah. posture or something. If he just had like a demo dog uh, next to him, he'd, he'd just, <laughs> just like Max, you know, it'd be pretty funny. I like his hands, how he's got like one hand that's a little longer. Some of those yeah, that he uses. Huge, just like really big claw. Obviously, like a reference to Freddy Krueger's uh hand blades but um yeah vecna's incredible and it's really like what anthony said reinvigorated my passion for stranger things because of vecna and the production value is so high now but like vecna really was the key to keeping people i think fully invested in the show and going forward i cannot wait for season five what are you guys thoughts on season five with vecna and everything i think he's gonna return i have a, I have a theory he's gonna return we're gonna see him in his henry form that's my theory Okay, I think my my theory is uh, it started with Will. It's gonna end with with Will. 
So Ooh. he's either going going to possess him or he's going to be working with him in some way. I don't know. My wife doesn't really agree with me on, on that, but uh, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be uh, pretty crazy to see, um, you know, one of the one of the guys of the crew just turn on everyone or, yeah. you know, maybe Vecna sees himself and will uh, in a way. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. See where they go with that. I think in, he has in that the, direction or not. Yeah, he's an outsider just like Henry was. Yeah, and like at the end of the, of the season, you see him like, you know, like kind of like Harry uh, scratching his uh, yeah his neck. He's he's kind of like uneasy. Neck. Yeah, he's uneasy. Yeah. He's like a little bit queasy. I think you guys mentioned it in your uh, Stranger Things uh, episode. Yeah, uh, that's pretty pretty similar. So yeah, definitely agree with that. I want to see destruction on a massive scale. I want to see monsters <laughs> coming through the upside down. I want to see them taking over cities, hordes of them. I want to see like a war between humans and creatures and monsters. I think they should just go as big as possible and i want to see vecna do some damage and my theory my theory because uh correct me if i'm wrong it's gonna start two years after the events There's of this time jump yeah so my guess my guess is that because at the last shot when the when the whole crew is standing on the grassy knoll knoll and then the the darkness from the upside down is beginning to rot all the grass and it's approaching them my guess is that when things start off for us two years later entire huge expanses of land cities metropolitan cities and towns are probably all rotten and overrun with the upside down's poison and so i think that there's going to be a huge portion of the country completely infected with the upside down that's a good point good point all right gentlemen i think that wraps our episode on oh what's the danger level danger oh, level. danger level of vecna 20, 10 out of 10 20 out of 10 20 out of 10 come on yeah for sure 20 out of 10. Don't want, to, don't want to mess with this guy. I'll give him 19 out of 10 because he's so slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep blasting Hans Zimmer and just walk at a moderate pace and you'll outrun this guy. <laughs> Bro, I got Corfield Chase playing. You can't get you me. You can't get me. Can't get Come me. on. You got Gladiator playing, bro. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode on Stranger Things Monsters. Thanks so much to John for joining us. As a chosen one patron, we appreciate you so much. Again, c congratulations on your podcast. Congratulations on you and your wife. You're about to welcome your first child. So that's incredible Thank news. You. You're about to be a dad. The the youngest Raiders of the Lost Podcast fans. Well, about yeah, to we'll have to get born. a onesie. <laughs> so we appreciate you so 100%. much. 100%. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks again for coming on. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. And that wraps our episode on Stranger Things Monsters. Take care, everyone. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast has been executive produced through Patreon by our amazing Chosen One patrons, Calvin Cam, Lauren Smertz, Cody Moen, John Agras, Tyler McFly, Anthony DeMeo, and Becca Keene. Thank you so much for contributing to our show. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.